0: It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson.
1: Whitney, have you had experiences in your lifetime where I like to call them almost moments of lucidity where you're looking around at your surroundings, maybe your body, your dog, something in your reality, and you have some version of the thought, this doesn't feel real to me. Have you have anything in that spectrum of experience in your life?
0: I suppose.
1: What do you mean you suppose?
0: I'm curious where <laughs> I feel like I know where you're going with this. And so with that assumption in mind, I don't think that I've experienced what I think you're going to talk about today. So I think I have to listen more to hear and then reflect on my life a bit to give you a, a full answer that I think you're looking for.
1: Okay. This episode today is sort of a extension. It's not directly related, but it's Related in the sense that it's questioning the nature of reality. We had some really interesting feedback on our previous episode about remote viewing and out-of-body experiences and the government experiments with the CIA. We will link to that episode, dear listener, dear watcher, if you're on YouTube enjoying this, in our show notes at our website, which is wellevator.com. That is W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Click on the podcast section in the top right. It will take you to the show notes. And we will link to that previous episode. Two good friends of mine who I've been on their podcast, with. And a Quick shout out to Juliet and Mackie Root. They have a great podcast called The WooCast that I've been a guest on twice. And they sent us a message saying, like, we love that episode about remote viewing and out-of-body stuff. And we've had some people nudging us to talk about more, perhaps, let's just say esoteric type subjects. So I think questioning the nature of our reality as a whole is probably about as esoteric as it gets. That's what today's episode is about. I want to specifically talk about an article. This is not something new. This is something I think I remember hearing about Whitney back in 2016 when Elon Musk was talking about this is when I was first introduced to this concept. And the concept is something called simulation theory is the theory that reality as we know it is a computer program or algorithm designed by some advanced civilization and we are akin to living in something of a video game like The Sims. That everything we know, touch, hear, taste, smell, breathe, experience is we're all living in an extremely detailed and extremely realistic holographic simulation. When I first heard that five years ago, I was like, that's bullshit. But the more I got into it, and the more I have been getting into it, and these articles continue to get passed around on the internet, Whitney, the more that I'm very curious about it. And so my initial, you know, bullshit reaction has gone into curiosity. And here's a big reason why. And the reason I asked you, Whitney, if you've had experiences where you've looked around at something in your life and thought, this doesn't feel real to me. Ever since my motorcycle accident last year, I've spoken to my mentor, Michael, about this, but I haven't really talked about it publicly, is what I would like to classify as disassociative experiences. Now, to me, this is different with than an out-of-body experience or lucid dreaming or remote viewing. When I talk about a disassociative experience, I don't mean that I'm leaving my body or my consciousness is leaving my body. What it means is it's an experience I continue to have And I had it last night. I'm having them a lot more frequently after my motorcycle accident of I will be, say, out on a walk with my dog, with Bella. And I'll be looking at the trees and I'll be looking at her. And I will be taking in all of the sounds and the smells and (laughs) all the smells in my neighborhood. We're not going to get into that, but it's almost this experience where. I'm looking at my dog, I'm looking at the trees, and then I'm watching my hand, you know, reaching down to pick up her poop. This sounds really funny, but I have a point to all this. And I, it's almost as if I am like a cartoon sitting in a robot body, looking out through my eye holes and looking at my hands almost as if I am a machine. I'm trying to describe this disembodied experience where I don't feel like I am my body. I don't feel like I am Jason. I feel like I am watching my hand almost like a mechanical instrument doing things, and I don't understand how it's happening, right? Like if I look at my hand, Whitney, opening and closing like this, be like, wow, Jason's really tripping out. I am not currently on drugs. I'm not currently on psychedelics while we are doing this episode. But it's like it mystifies me. How quickly the electronic impulse from my synapses can go from my brain to this part of my body to open. It's almost like magic. It's like I can't detect or feel the electronic impulse coming from my brain to command my body to do this. So this disassociative experience is like I feel increasingly disconnected from my body and I feel increasingly at moments confounded by the experience of being here and being in this, like, it doesn't feel real to me. That's why I asked you at the beginning. There's so many moments I have where I'm like, this doesn't feel real. So part of this simulation theory that I've been going down this rabbit hole, I sent you this interesting article that again, we'll link to in the show notes at wellevator.com from a website called Interesting Engineering. And this article in Interesting Engineering referenced this documentary that came out last year which was actually completed prior to the pandemic. And the documentary is called The Glitch in the Matrix. I watched about 80% of it last night. And it's kind of a mindfuck. It's really interesting, Whitney. And before I continue and go on with this, I want to say as we explore this together today that I don't necessarily find this theory that we're living in some advanced simulation any more or less probable than evolutionary theory or the creation story that is existent in multiple major world religions, right? That God created us from dust. We're made in the image of God, all of that. So to me, it's it's another attempt at humanity to try and explain who we are, why we're here, and who made us or where we came from. Because this is my opinion before I throw the baton back to you. And people have, I respect whoever's opinion is what it is. We don't know for sure who we are, what we're doing here, or where we came from. We have theories, we have stories, we have religious and biological contexts, but we don't actually know for sure. We don't have hard, concrete evidence saying, yep, that's exactly who we are and why we're here. So this theory to me, let's throw it in the mix for consideration. Why not? How do you feel about simulation theory? And when, when did you first hear about it? Was it also through Elon or some something else?
0: It was, and I feel confused about it and a little skeptical, to be honest. I, I'm i interested. I'm fascinated by it, certainly. And I think it's helpful when they reference the Matrix, you know? But I still feel like it's far-fetched. So, yeah, I feel like I'm going to need a lot of, like, deeper understanding and convincing. I mean, I suppose the fact that Elon Musk has talked about this in my mind which might sound kind of silly based on how people perceive him, but it makes it feel a little bit more legitimate, you know? I'm like, wow. I mean, I don't agree with everything that Elon Musk says and does, but I think that he is an intelligent man that's connected to a lot of really intelligent people. So I'm willing to, like, maybe take it a little bit more seriously, I suppose. I don't know. It's it's really interesting. You know what I've thought a lot about and I'm wondering how this ties into it, Jason, is like the alternate universe or like what's like maybe I don't know if the theory is that. Well, kind of like a, I don't know if you've watched any of the Loki show on Disney Plus, Jason, I've only watched maybe two episodes of it. And I I would like to get back into it because it's very well done and fascinating. And the concept is about variants. And I think the way it works is that Loki, when he's traveling through time or something, like variants are created. And the whole concept of the show is that they're trying to stop the variants from happening because they're causing too much chaos. So... It's really fascinating. And I wonder if that's the same as like an alternate universe theory. And I, I can't remember if the show addresses that or not. Did you ever see that movie? I think it's called Another Earth. Amazing. Do did we, did we happen to watch that together? I feel I like that's something. I believe we did.
1: Okay. I believe we did. Yeah.
0: And isn't that the whole theory too? Like it's literally another, like they're a mirror image of the earth. And so everybody on the planet is simultaneously living in both earths.
1: Yeah, that it's it's a simultaneously existing alternate reality. And I think when you reference science fiction and things like Marvel, they actually call it the multiverse. That's their terminology for it, where there are multiple dimensional realities existing concurrently. And part of that movie, not to give a made, well, fuck it, we'll do a little bit of a spoiler. Another Earth, very cool concept. But part of it is that there are some characters where some of their family members die, and the idea is to go to this other Earth that is existing concurrently, it's a mirrored Earth, to try and reunite this person with their deceased family members, which is fascinating as hell to even consider. But we don't know. I mean, if you think about the theory of relativity, or if we go back to this simulation theory, there are actually MIT scientists, Whitney, and theoretical physicists trying to prove what they call the super string theory, which is these vibrating quantum strings that are tying together the fabric of all reality. And they're thinking that if they can prove super string theory and demonstrate it, apparently these scientists and theoretical physicists think that will tie together a lot of quantum theories that we've been playing with. It's really fascinating to consider though, that you as a being or a soul could be not only operating on this plane of existence, Whitney, but operating somewhere else simultaneously. That's fascinating as shit. That's almost too much for my brain to even conceive, right? That there could be a version of me, a version of you, a version of all of this that is living out a completely different life in a mirrored dimensional reality. Like that's hard to wrap the mind around.
0: Well, I'll tell you this. Now I'm getting some thoughts coming up based on your original question, Jason, I have, in recent years, maybe the most, the recent past year, 2020 and 2021, have contemplated this because there are sometimes moments where I almost feel like my brain goes into like a fantasy, but it feels so real. I wonder if I've experienced it before. It's like deja vu. I mean, anytime I felt deja vu, it's so intense. And yet your brain is like, I don't have the, it's like a different memory, a different type of memory. Like I've already done this, but logically I know I haven't done this, but somehow your brain's like, but it's so familiar. I think I have. And it's like that weird vagueness. And I felt that, but I've also felt this other sense like that. I've almost like sensed myself doing two different things at the same time. If this makes any, have you ever had that? It's like, maybe not the exact same time, but it's like, I, I do have these moments of wondering what it is that I'm experiencing. Because it's very subtle, but it's like a knowingness. I guess that's the closest I could come to describing it. And I it also makes me wonder about people who feel like they've been abducted by aliens, which I suppose it's possible. I'm not like super like clear about my beliefs on that, but like, it's like, is the brain hallucinating? Is it making up things or is it experiencing something that we can't quite describe? And that would make me wonder about this simulation because maybe we're picking up on something that our current reality can't understand.
1: My version of that or my experience of having almost like i don't know if they're flashbacks or premonitions but images and experiences that i believe that i've lived come to my brain and i'm convinced that i've lived them but my logical brain goes wait that doesn't you haven't wait that hasn't happened in this lifetime has it there's been moments where i've had to you know call my mom and be like mom did this did we go out to dinner with that person during this time? Like, am I making this up completely? I've had a lot of those moments of questioning whether or not that fits into the t- linear timeline of my reality as Jason Robel. I absolutely have had that. And it's interesting you bring that up, Whitney, because in this documentary last night, a glitch in the matrix that talks a lot about simulation theory there's a a presentation there's this footage from the author philip k dick in 1977 he was in paris giving a lecture and he was talking about how he believes that we are living in a very advanced computer simulation and you know everyone in paris is kind of looking looking at him like okay keep Keep going. (laughs) And he talks about this experience that he had in 1974. And by the way, Philip K. Dick, amazing author. A lot of his books have been turned into Hollywood movies like Minority Report, A Scanner Darkly, really interesting futurist, and talking about what he perceives is going to be the future of humanity. A lot of his writings that he compiled between 1974 and the time of his death were a result of an experience he had, Whitney, during a dental procedure where they pumped him full of uh, sodium pentothal. And the sodium pentothal apparently opened his consciousness similar to what you're talking about of these downloads, experiences that he didn't necessarily have a linear reference point in his lifetime as Philip K. Dick, but they felt so real to him that he was almost in this feverish time of writing to capture all these things, convinced that he was experiencing these things on an alternate timeline of reality, right? I'm paraphrasing here, but similar to what you're saying, you know, he had this drug experience at the dentist's office. It sounds goofy, but when you watch this documentary and see him describe it, it's like, that is fascinating as hell. He didn't know where they were coming from, but he wanted to capture as much as he could. And there are apparently some people who have edited and compiled these writings and released them to the public. I would love to get my hands on them because I'm super curious about this. But. The thing that got me about the simulation theory, there's a lot of people they interview in this documentary, and and I'm going to reference a few in this engineering, interesting engineering article with, apparently the idea of our current understanding of simulation theory is attributed to an Oxford University philosopher. His name is Nick Bostrom. They interview him in this documentary. And this paper that he released in 2003 with is called, Are You Living in a Computer Simulation? And it argues that one of the following assumptions are true about human existence. One, the human species is very likely to kill itself off and go extinct before reaching a post-human stage, right? We've talked a lot about uploading our consciousness, immortality. We've talked about these things on previous episodes. His assumption is we will kill ourselves off before we reach these advanced technologies. The second postulate is any post-human civilization – is extremely unlikely to run a significant number of simulations of their evolutionary history. I want to get to that point in a second. And third, we are absolutely living in a computer simulation. Now, the third option is interesting because as Elon Musk kind of frames this wit, you know, in the late 70s, I remember my cousins, I was very young, we had Pong. Do you remember that video game Pong? Like Pong was basic as shit, but if you think back to the seventies, people were freaking out over Pong. You had basically, for anyone who hasn't seen Pong, you can probably just Google it or we'll drop it in the show notes, but it was a very two bit video game where you had these sliding vertical columns and one ball, one very pixelated ball bouncing from one column to the other, right? That's the first like video games we had in mass market. Well, here we are like what 45 years later. And now we have virtual reality goggles. We have Oculus. We have all of these things that you look at like role-playing games. Now, Whitney, they're like photorealistic. realistic. They're third dimensional. You're in a whole third dimensional universe where you interact with characters, whether that's like final fantasy or grand theft auto. It's crazy to think about in four and a half decades, how we've gone from pong To like immersive virtual reality. So this theory of simulation is that what if our great, 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 great grandchildren, five, six, seven, eight generations from now, humanity has survived and quantum computing power has evolved to the point where we are actually living in an evolutionary simulation of our human history that is being run by our great, 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 grandchildren, eight, nine, ten generations in the future. That's fucking crazy to me to consider that we could be living in a simulation that our grandchildren are running and we are being played as characters. That's kind of a mind crusher for me. Is it a possibility? Yes. Is it probable? I don't know. I can't answer that. But Elon's point and Nick Bostrom's point is if we look at the curve of technological innovation, that it is theoretical that, you know, eight, nine, 10 generations from now, They could be like, we're going to do a historical simulation of our ancestors. This will be fun, kind of like The Sims. That's a bit unnerving because what that brings up to me, Whitney, is the consideration of ethics, the consideration of free will, the consideration of predestiny. Do we have any semblance of control over our decisions and our actions, or are we literally being played like video game characters? The other point about ethics, too, and they brought this up in the documentary I don't know if you read about this years ago. There was a young man named Joshua Cook, who I think he killed his parents. Okay. This was back in 2003. And Joshua Cook used what they call the matrix defense. You can look this up. We'll link to this in the show notes that he said, life isn't actually real we're living in a simulation like the matrix and so i actually didn't kill my parents it's all a computer simulation he tried to use this in court well it didn't work they sentenced him to 40 years in jail for the murder of his adoptive parents but apparently this has been used multiple times in court where people have attempted to use the matrix defense is what they call it that the lawyer will say no 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 this is this isn't actually real there was another one In 2002, Tonda Lynn Ashley shot and killed her landlord and claimed she didn't commit murder because it wasn't actually reality. And this is all a simulated dream. That is fascinating as hell to use as a defense in court. Apparently, it hasn't worked, but people have attempted it. But that is an interesting consideration, Witt. If we are living in a video game played by people in the future and we're all just characters in it, people have tried to say, yeah, I didn't actually murder anyone because we're all living in a video game. That's where things get tricky to me, right? I mean, how does that hit you?
0: It hits me as very curious. And I think this is part of the danger, right? It's like, unless you're able to really prove something, it's really tricky for our legal system, for sure. Because, you know, our legal system is challenging enough as it is. You need a lot of evidence to back things up. And there's that gray area between what do we use to justify our behavior and what can we get away with and at what expense? Because I think that this is an interesting thing about human behavior. It reminds me of some feelings I had while watching this new documentary on HBO about Woodstock 99, which Jason, I feel like you would be really into. I assume you haven't seen it yet. And what's really fascinating about that is the number of rebellious behavior that happened and and i'm not going to spoil it because i i actually oddly enough i do not have a lot of memory around woodstock 99 like when it was happening even though it was like a couple of states away from where i grew up in massachusetts i like don't remember it and i think that's because social media didn't exist <laughs> really at least in the major way that it does now and like I was just going about my life, uh, not thinking about Woodstock. So it was really interesting to watch the documentary and see all these musical acts that like I really knew well when I, you know, 99. But specifically, the documentary was talking about a lot of the intense behavior that happened, especially around these white men in their early 20s. And again, I'm not going to get into all of the things for those that want to see it. But there was this one section of the movie where I was like, I can't believe they're behaving this way. And there's this one guy they interviewed, who all these years later said, I don't know what got into me at that festival. That isn't typically how I would behave. But somehow, when I was there all of this odd behavior came out. And it seemed very believable. Like, okay, but that doesn't excuse his behavior is my point. Like some of the things that he did. And it makes me think about how sometimes we can be triggered into behavior that is not socially acceptable. And yet there might be something going on where in our heads, we can justify it. Now, what you're describing is a very different justification, but I guess part of this is like, if you can't prove it, if it's not socially acceptable, then like you're probably not going to get away with it if you get caught, depending on the scenario and, and how extreme it is. Now, murder is very different from kind of this reckless behavior in the festival that I'm describing, but as you'll see, if you see the documentary, some truly upsetting borderline horrific things happen and who knows what happened there that was never widely talked about, you know, and these people could have been on drugs. They could have been in altered states of consciousness that led them to believe that that behavior was justified. And I'm fascinated by that because it goes to show that many people have these urges that if brought out by a certain experience there's an opportunity to behave in that way that in the moment we feel like makes sense. But later on, you're like, how do I explain myself and what are the consequences?
1: I think people will use as many things as they can to try and justify their behavior. I mean, that's definitely not a new aspect of you know the human condition. This idea of living in a simulation and therefore nothing is real so we can do whatever we want I think if humanity were to adopt that on a massive level, we'd probably have a lot of chaos and anarchy, right? So to me, the limitations of simulation theory are if we're living in some kind of multiplayer, multidimensional video game that is being run by some advanced civilization and or, you know, our great-grandchildren, 10 generations in the future you know, I don't think we can use that as an excuse to justify you know murder and theft and you know rape and destruction. I mean it could if seven billion people on the planet was like it's not real, I shudder to think how people would handle that so to me, that's a logical limitation of this type of theory. The other thing too, you know is in this article in this documentary wit they talk about how this framework is not exactly new that people have been questioning reality for millennia there's a allegory from the philosopher plato called the allegory of the cave where how do i describe this succinctly basically we are in a very narrow frame of reality we are living in a cave humanity is living in a cave and the people the situations the objects the animals our reality is a shadow projection on the wall of the cave but we can't see behind us what is creating the projection on the wall So, we're living in this very narrow frame of reality, looking at a cave wall, going, Look, this is real. The buffalo and the animals and the cavemen and all, it's all real. But we can't physically turn around to see what is actually projecting what we think is perceived reality. So, Plato was trying to figure out the nature of reality. There's also a philosopher, which I disagree with some of his things regarding animals and sentient beings. His name is Descartes. And Descartes had his own version, which was kind of the evil demon hypothesis, that there's some disembodied creature or entity or series of entities that are manipulating reality to make us think that we are real, that our bodies are real, our identities are real. But Descartes was kind of like, no, that that's just some evil sorcerer or demon playing a trick on all of us. So the framework of this thing is not exactly new. Humans have been considering this for a long long time but I want to I want to go back to this idea because we were talking about Elon Musk and we were also talking about kind of the origin of the the modern simulation theory, which I mentioned was Nick Bostrom, right There are highly intelligent people who are believing this. Two others which I didn't know Whitney are Stephen Hawking and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Now of course Stephen Hawking has passed. we can't really ask him about it, but Neil deGrasse Tyson was in an interview I think a couple years ago with NBC. And they were asking him about from a astrophysiological perspective. And he said he believes there's probably better than 50-50 odds we are living in a simulation. And Neil deGrasse Tyson said, I wish I could summon a strong argument against it, but I can find none. Really interesting, isn't it? And to go back to Elon Musk, you know, he basically said in this 2016 interview at the Code Conference, we'll link to that in the show notes at WellEvator.com, because there's a video of Elon talking about this. He said, if you assume any rate of improvement with technology, then games will become indistinguishable from base reality. If one progresses at the current rate of a technology a few decades into our future, very quickly, we will be living in a society where artificial entities are living in simulations that are more abundant than human beings. Fascinating.
0: Is that similar to the concept of Ready Player One? Interesting in you which, bring that movie like, up. Well, it's a book originally, and the movie. I haven't read it, but I saw the movie. And my takeaway from that, it, it was like the world is... Not in a great place. And people want to live differently than how they are, but they also want to be different people. And so they can go into this virtual reality, which is so common. They can be anonymous, they can create these whole avatars for themselves. And there's also like a very gamification element of it. And one thing that I really remember clearly is like some of the characters like were nothing like their avatars which is already happening and people. And this actually, I think was talked about in either stealing fire or bored and brilliant, which I've mentioned on a few episodes. I read the books back to back. So sometimes I forget where did I learn the other, but I think it's the game called second life, which was so appealing to people. They would actually fall in love in that game. Like they would create full on relationships with others, knowing that they probably were nothing like this avatar that they were creating. I think even I could be wrong, but I feel like one of those books that mentioned this talked about like people getting married in the game to the avatars and like that was enough for them. And it was kind of like that movie, her with Joaquin Phoenix, where he falls in love with the computer or the kind of like a Siri Alexa type of character But it makes sense, and and didn't we talk about this in another episode? How it's possible that people will have relationships with AI because it's more comfortable. Yeah, and so what you're describing, it's like it's going to become more common and more, you know, more acceptable because it's safer for us. And that was in that book, one of Sherry Turkle's books. So it doesn't seem that far fetched because a lot of people are lonely, and if they don't feel like they are easily finding someone to be with or they don't feel like they can be the full expression of themselves, then turning to a, a video game VR experience may be perfectly satisfying for them. They don't, They might not need another human being nor even want one.
1: I think we're already doing this and not in a literal sense of when you're talking about Second Life or we're talking about immersive, augmented virtual reality. I mean... We're already doing this on social media. I can't tell you the number of experiences, and I know you knew, you, you know this, Whitney, but for, for the listener, where I have met a content creator or a influencer, or even more so, been on a date with someone that I met from social media. I've been on an innumerable number of dates over the years from people that I connected with on social. And I've had so many experiences where I connected with that human being off screen and went, In my mind, right, I don't say this out loud, you're nothing like I thought you were going to be. So I think that we are already doing this. We are already carefully and succinctly, and sometimes maybe even diabolically in some cases, manufacturing a reality and an identity that doesn't actually match who we are. Dozens of experiences like this. Meet a person like, wow, like just shocked at how different they were. Than their online avatar and their online persona. We're already doing this. I've been doing it for years. The other part of this, which is interesting, you talked about proving this earlier, Whitney, whether that's in a court of law or a theoretical physicists trying to prove we are living in a simulation. There are a couple of scientists, a nuclear physicist, Zore Davidui, and New York University's David Chalmers. Have posited that the chances of us living in a simulation are most likely very low. Here's why, even if you were, how would you go about proving that we exist in a simulation? David Chalmers said quote, "You're not going to get proof that we're not in a simulation because any evidence you would get would be simulated also. <laughs> Like, think about we're searching for evidence. But if we're in a simulation, then that evidence would be, quote, planted or created by the person running the simulation. So it's a bit like Ouroboros, the snake eating its tail. We couldn't trust the evidence of a simulation that we would find within the simulation. That's fascinating. This is interesting. Going back to Neil deGrasse Tyson, there's another, there's so many theoretical physicists out there, Whitney. I'd love to have dinner with them and pick their brains. This one is from MIT. His name is James Gates. He made a discovery that caused Neil deGrasse Tyson to sit down in shock. So we talked about superstring theory. It's a concept that could unify all aspects of modern physics if proven right. So, while working on his version of superstring theory, James Gates made an odd discovery. This is interesting. Gates claims to have identified what appears to be actual computer code embedded in the advanced equations of string theory, Whitney, that describe the fundamental particles and building blocks of our universe. In short, what he found was, quote, error-correcting computer code in string theory, the same kind of error-correcting codes that you might find on your web browser or the computer you're using right now. That's crazy. What if in our lifetime, scientists and theoretical physicists uncover the code of the universe? We we have an episode coming out in the near future with a couple of really wonderful coders, Srini and Usha And we're talking about, you know, the building blocks of the Internet and computer technology. But wouldn't that be a trip? Like, let me ask you this, because I I have my own reaction to this. How would you feel if they're like, "Yep, we found the code for the universe? Would you feel excited or disappointed? Or I personally would feel a little bit like, oh, really? You found the code of the universe? I don't know. I kind of would feel a little bit let down. I don't know why. I'd feel a little bit let down by that. How would you feel if they're like, we we crack the code. Here's the code for the entire universe. But like if we did, the fuck would we do with it?
0: I mean, my brain immediately went to Thanos <laughs> from the Avengers.
1: <laughs> what do you mean?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking like how we finally got all those. What were they called? The crystals or infinity stones, the stones. Yes, right you know, and he snaps his fingers for those that I mean, that's kind of a spoiler, but also not at the same time. And he's got control finally, but it's complete chaos, and it doesn't really work out. So I think that's a great metaphor for the desire to like have complete control and make the world however you want it to be. And I don't know. And it's interesting that you, you'd you feel disappointed. I want to know more. Like, what do you mean you'd be disappointed?
1: I think one of the most magical and interesting aspects of existence is what I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode. My belief system is, I don't know who I am or what I am. I don't know what I am doing here. And I don't know who or what created me or all of this. I don't know. You may have your own personal beliefs, but in my cosmology, I think that there's a certain, it's almost like being childlike Whitney, right? When we're small children, we don't have a framework of reality that is like microphone, computer, tree, picture, dog, cat. We we don't, we haven't started to compartmentalize our reality through language and understanding. We are just pure beingness as children, as babies. It's just pure beingness. I think if we were to crack the code, literally like find the equation and the code that what they call is like base reality, right? If we were to discover what the hell base reality is and what's running it, I feel like that would take a lot of the magic and mystery out of life almost. Like we did it, we figured it out. It, my question A would be like, well, again, what the fuck will we do with that code? Will we attempt to re, how would we even go about quantumly speaking, rewrite the code? Could we even do it? And would it even matter if we did? Where is the database Where is the server, so to speak, to even play or rewrite that code? I mean, it, again, starts to boggle the mind in such bizarre ways. But I don't know. To me, it almost feels like if we were to actually answer what this is, where we came from, what the – I don't know. To me, it might – do you know the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Have you heard of that book? And there's also another book uh, by Douglas Adams, the same author, called The Restaurant at the End of the Universe. And in that book, Douglas Adams says, there's a theory that states if anyone ever discovers exactly what the universe is for and why it is here, it will instantly disappear and be replaced immediately by something even more bizarre and inexplicable. There's another theory which states this has already happened. Like, what? who knows? If we did crack the code and we did figure out what reality actually is and what's running it, Who's to say that there's not a line in the code that would say when we discover it, it's instantly over? <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? We did it. It's a. It just shuts down instantly, and we just get completely shut down once we discover it. Maybe the engineer, God, spirit, universe, the who, whatever it is, wrote a line in the code that's like, if they ever figure this out, we're pulling the plug. Okay. All right. So you're going to sit by that plug. And if they do, you're pulling the plug immediately. It's going to get boring. You're going to be sitting right by the plug. But if they do yank that plug, who the hell knows? But I think it is interesting that since the dawn of recorded time, humanity has been attempting to explain what this is, why we are here. I don't know that we'll ever do it, but I think I would feel a little disappointed if we did. It'd be like, oh, that's the explanation. That really? Ugh! I'm going to go have a sandwich. But it is, let's just say this, if we did prove, okay, quote, prove, or have sufficient evidence to move this simulation theory forward with any kind of actual concrete evidence, how does that actually change our day-to-day lives, right? Like, let's just for a second, Whitney, say we are living in a simulation, that you and I are living in some advanced quantum three-dimensional program run by some alien advanced race or our forebearers 10 generations in the future well what does that have to do with the fact that like i need to take my throat spray because my throat hurts hey hey person could you change the code on this like virus because i'm i feel like shit could you could you please just like rewrite that part of the like how how To me, I don't know that proving we're in a simulation has any bearing on our day-to-day reality and how we function, right? Like when you think about it, does that change how you're going to go about your day? Whitney, like, okay, we're living in a simulation. Well, I got shit to do. Sorry. (laughs) To me, I don't know that it necessarily changes my conduct day-to-day as a human being or trying to get through life like we're in a simulation. So what? Can we change it? Can we tell the coders? I I don't know, but to me my initial hit is I don't know there's very much we could do about it.
0: I mean, that reminds me a little of the religious standpoint when people go, "Well, it's God's will." So if he wants to change it, then he will or she will, you know. And if you pray for it, maybe God will change something. I mean, it, it feels to me like along the same lines. And I don't know if that like makes it feel more legitimate or, or less legitimate. (laughs) Speaking of documentaries, another one that I started watching that I haven't finished yet is I think it's called pray away on Netflix. And it's about the conversion Therapy, is that what it was called? When the churches were trying to convert people who are homosexual to no longer be. And the d- documentaries covering all these people that were involved with that. And when I watched it, I started to feel mixed feelings about religion. And we've talked about this, how I ha- was raised with a lot of like Christian mentality, but not super religious. And then a few years ago, I started going to church. And like, I remember at that time, like, feeling like I wasn't fully connected to it. But there was a lot of elements of church and Christianity that resonated with me. And certainly this documentary is a bit biased in the sense that It's showing the extreme sides of Christianity. But there were these moments of watching people gather and talk about God and pray together and worship. And then they were supporting Prop 8, which I had kind of forgotten about. And it just didn't make me feel good because I thought like the documentary is showing the expense at which in going back to what we talked about with like the video games, it's like promoting this mentality that we have to follow God's will, but like forgetting the fact that, or in my opinion, I guess this is a belief that like, you know, human beings came up with a lot of these rules and we're promoting it as if it's some universal truth where I just think there's a lot of room for interpretation on it. And clearly because there's many different religions and many people that treat even Christianity different than other Christians and like this, you know, all of these differences. And unless it's true that we are in a simulation or we are in some version of, of life ruled by a God, I just feel like we're not all on the same page. And a lot of the people that seem to want to promote this like universal rule book, I think that leads a lot of people to uh, feel very unhappy or unsatisfied. And in this documentary, you know, some people came out, like some people that quote converted ended up realizing that they never really converted, but they were just trying to convert and try to convince themselves and others. But deep down they weren't able to continue because that was not their true nature. And they were involved in promoting conversion therapy and the damage that it did for others. One of them actually, I think in the part that I paused, cause I am about like three quarters of the way through one of them was saying how strongly he supported prop eight until I think it was 2008 when it, it passed and they were showing all these footage, all this footage of, of people that were devastated because homosexual people weren't allowed to get married under that proposition. And I I remember that experience, but not really understanding it because I'm heterosexual and it didn't apply to me. I could only understand it from what I heard other people talking, how they were sharing their experiences. But he was saying how when he saw the footage of all these devastated people and how much that proposition affected them, he said, everything changed. Because he recognized how hurt that decision was and how hard they had to work to even pass it at the expense of others. And that I have an issue with, you know? Unfortunately, I think, because from my point of view, there's a lot of benefits to Christianity from what I've experienced. I am not against it by any means, but. I do take issue with elements of religion that are trying to force people to change and be something that they're not. And I think that kind of ties into this conversation because it's like this belief system that we have to abide by some rule book or else God will be mad at us. God will punish us. God, you know, it's God's will. So we can't change anything. We have to do what God says, I think that leads people to feel completely out of control and unhappy if they don't deep down believe in it. That's, that's the challenge there. And that documentary kind of highlights that some people cannot change. It's just, but they try to program all this belief and some people still believe those things. Like, and I think that causes a lot of harm in our society When people don't feel the freedom to be who they are deep down and feel extremely confused. And that makes me feel like, how could it possibly be true? If it was truly God's will for someone to be heterosexual or everybody to be heterosexual and only for men and women to be married, then why would anybody have those desires to be, you know, to be with somebody of their same gender? Like, how would that be possible? If if God created us and had the rules, then why would He even create that feeling within us? Like, that's where I start to wonder. If God loves all children, then, like, why can't we be fully accepted as we are? And listen, I'm no means a religious scholar, so I'm sure there's an answer to every question, <laughs> which I will Happily listened to, but doubt I will believe. I think it ties into this point, Jason. It's like if we're living under a simulation and we don't have free will, then like technically everything that we do is predestined and programmed, and thus everything we do is okay. Right? Like, that's where the logic starts starts to fall apart for me. Like, that's in other words, we can't change it. So we're just playing out our destiny. And I think that becomes really tricky then. And it goes into like what you were saying about that guy who committed murder and said, well, he had this whole justification around it in a way, maybe you could believe him because if, if we are in a simulation, then like he was programmed to commit that. And you know, there, the, the whole legal system starts to fall apart at that point. It's tricky and multi-layered. And I don't, I don't think it's a simple explanation. And There's a lot of questioning too, which the questioning as well, Jason, makes me wonder how could it be real because why would we do so much questioning and why wouldn't we just have kind of blind trust and faith? Where would these thoughts of believing otherwise even come from? Why would they serve us if they were all programmed? Why would they be programmed into us? I think like if you look at uh, the show Westworld, I believe I could be wrong, but I believe that all of the robots in that show like did not think about anything beyond like they just accepted their reality until a certain point. I won't ruin it, but like Westworld's based on the robots making a change. I'll say that and how they interact with humans. But like, I remember some of the characters they're just on their path, living their life. They're robots. They're not, they're not literally not programmed to believe anything other than what they're doing. But human beings are different in that sense. So that's where there'd have to be a benefit to the, that thought process if it were actually programmed into us. But then if, that's, if that questioning and thought process could lead to a destruction, like are we programmed to destroy? I don't know. That's where all these questions start to come up for me. And what purpose do they serve? I'd like to know people's perspectives on that. That's for sure. I'm sure that's been discussed somewhere. Have you come across any of it, Jason?
1: I haven't, but what you described, Whitney, sounds like the experience of a lot of human beings, not just this fantastical robot, cyborgian, sci fi future. I think a lot of human beings are walking around with their programs, their prejudices, their judgments, their preconceived notions, their confirmation biases, and they see reality through a very programmed narrow framework and anything that doesn't meet their reality, whatever that is. You need to be a certain sexuality. You need to be a certain political party. You need to get the vax. You need to not get the vax. You need to eat vegan. You need to eat paleo. You need to believe this. You need to eat this way. I mean, really, if you look at the complexity of the human experience, a lot of human beings are very convinced that their beliefs, their framework, their religion, spirituality, their viewpoint of the world is the viewpoint. And if you disagree or you're outside that framework, they can't handle it. They can't accept it. They can't compute it. So one might also say that our filter, our programming, our belief systems are what is the projection, a la Plato's allegory of the cave, that is casting the shadows on the cave wall, right? Behind us is our programming, our family, our school system, our, be- our media, our Like, think about all the layers of programming and conditioning throughout our entire lives, and that is casting the framework on what we perceive to be reality. My question is, as we get close to wrapping this episode is, is it possible as human beings in a human lifetime to shed all of that programming? Those belief systems, preconceived notions, what we think we are, and if we were able to cognitively deconstruct all those programs, does that get us to, quote, base reality? And I wonder, again, as children, newborns, infants that don't have language or frameworks yet, would we somehow maybe return to that level of innocence where there's no judgment, there's no hatred, there's no division, there's no... My way is the right way. My reality is the only one that matters because I could be completely wrong. I don't know what the consciousness of animals or plant life or other sentient beings are, but it seems to me that the most trouble that is going on on the planet right now is from adult human beings. Animals ain't causing problems. The plants, the minerals, the rocks, the air, the water, the babies, the fucking problem is judgmental human beings who think they fucking know something. Like, I'm just going to go on a short rant at the end here. The judgments, the programming, the conditioning, and the false beliefs where we convince, we're so convinced of our truth. I think that is where the majority of our problems on the planet stem from. And I think if people were to open their minds and their hearts and maybe realize that what they believe and what they are convinced is reality is not actual reality. Maybe that's a good starting point for us to actually come together. For us to actually create some real solutions to the climate change, the extinction, the shit we are dealing with, not 30 years in the future, folks, we're dealing with that shit right fucking now. And I think if we continue to be divided and like my my way is the way and my truth is the truth and my God is the way. And I think the longer we cling to these type of mentalities, regardless of whether we're living in a simulation or not, Whitney, this is going to continue to perpetuate the problems and the challenges on planet Earth. So I think the more that we can shed our conditioning, the more that we can shed our programming, the more we can return to this sort of blank slate state of innocence. It's my belief that I think maybe that's the starting point where we're actually going to have a real conversation about healing ourselves and healing the planet. Maybe. I could be wrong. I don't know. Are we leaving a computer? I don't know. Are we living under God's will? I don't know. I go back to the answer. I don't know. We're just here exploring on This Might Get Uncomfortable, and I think this is one of the most deep, strange, and esoteric topics we've yet covered. So if you've enjoyed it and you want us to do more of this sort of existential pondering, we're happy to do it because I eat this stuff up, Whitney. I love this kind of subject material. So for you, dear listener, dear watcher, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to send us a direct email to Whitney and myself. It's hello at wellevator.com you can reach us directly with any musings reflections on this episode around simulation theory and you can also, again, check out our main hub, which is our website, dot has all of our podcast transcripts, our show notes, and we will link to this article from Interesting Engineering. We will link to the documentary, A Glitch in the Matrix, which is on Hulu. You can watch that. Any of the books that Whitney mentioned as well. We love to give you as many resources as possible to continue to geek out and educate yourself and pontificate the way we do here in real time on the podcast. And we do have a private podcast called This Hits the Spot, which is an exploration into our favorite products, recommendations, books, services, things that we just geek out on and love that we want to share with you on your well-being journey. And that's a private podcast that's available to our newsletter subscribers. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter that is released every Friday on WellEvator.com. And we also have special companion videos and product recommendations and show notes for our Patreon members, our patrons. For any of our patrons, shout out to you. Thank you for supporting the podcast so we grow and bring this to even more people around the world. With that being said, Whitney, I don't know. I feel like I need to get back in my body a little bit. It's been a very heady episode. So I'm going to go have some food. And you know what? If we are living in a simulation, kudos to the programmers because you guys made, you guys and gals, whoever the hell you are, made some damn tasty treats here. Like kudos to the programmer. Thank you for food especially chocolate and treats because y'all did a bang up job on that code like whoever wrote that code props until next time thanks for getting uncomfortable with us whitney and i will see you with another episode of the podcast soon cheers